Do you know, I mean, do you really know how precious you are to God? That word, um, you know, women speakers could get in their conferences and talk about how precious we it's kind of difficult for a guy, particularly you know, alpha male kind of guy, to get up and talk and say, y'all are precious to the Lord. But you are. Do you realize how precious you are to our Heavenly Father? I want to talk about that this morning, preach about it this morning. Because streaming through the New Testament, in every corner of the New Testament, the theme of our victory, our victory through the love of God, how precious we are to Him. Our victory over our limitations, our victory over our flaws, through His love, that theme streams throughout the New Testament. Unfortunately, so much of what we read and learn about in the New Testament, we have distilled down into just rules and regulations. And I love rules. You can't run your family without rules. You don't run your own life without rules. I love guidelines. There's nothing wrong with the rules, nothing wrong with guidelines. Good, righteous guidelines and rules bless people. They help to, to direct us in the path of righteousness. They help to direct us in the way that we should go where God can bless and prosper. So there's nothing wrong with it, but my goodness, if our salvation and relationship with God were based on rules, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. Amen. He wouldn't have had to sacrifice his life. But the problem with us is that we were eternally broken. We couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't change ourselves. And so God had to make us precious to himself. And so that theme, that theme of God's love working powerfully in our life to, to hoist us and to catapult us beyond our flaws and weaknesses runs through the whole New Testament. I just want to grab a few of these verses and present them to you this morning. One is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 20. I know that you're familiar with some of these verses, but listen to them and the flow from beginning to end. Catch the theme that I just described. Ephesians 3, 16. I pray that according to the wealth of His glory, He will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you will be able to comprehend with all God's people what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, the dimensions to know, to know the love of Christ that surpasses mere learning so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who by the power that is working in you is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. We usually stop that verse where it says, to know the dimensions of God that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we usually stop there and then you preach and discuss and share but that very next verse is so important because after it says that knowing the dimensions of God's love will cause you to be filled with God, he goes on to say, now, here's the conclusion. we got to have the conclusion. Now to him 
who by the power that is working in you, he is able by the power that's working in you to do beyond what you could ever think or ask. What is the power that he's talking about? What power is working in me? I mean, there are a lot of powers that work in me. Sometimes it's the power of a great message you got stirred up by, the power of truth trailing in your mind and in your consciousness, and you can run on that power for two or three or four days, sometimes even more. That's great power. Um, sometimes it's the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and been in prayer, fresh filling, and the anointing and the presence of God. Um, but like Moses who came down off the mountain with the veil over his face, sometimes that, that can fade. What is the power that works in us that will cause us to exceed every limitation, never fades, never fails, never passes away or drifts from our life. It is installed permanently. In fact, it is the power with which God borned you again. I know I'm a preacher. We can make up words. It's part of our license. So the Lord gave you new birth with this power. It's what makes you live. It's called agape. It's the love of God. It's the love he was just talking about. Oh, that you may know the dimensions of God's love for you because by the power of his love working in you, there's no limit to what you can do, including your own limits and your own flaws. That power is the power of his love for us. 1 John 3, 1, I shared last week when we started this message. Behold, look, consider, measure it, consider it, understand it. Behold what kind of love that the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, the sons, the daughters of God. What kind of love is it that that God has given you that makes, even though you are filled with flaws and shortcomings and limitations, makes the impossible possible in your life. It's a paternal love, the love of a father, the love of a mother, a paternal love. There's nothing like a paternal love. All other human loves are more like a craving. And sometimes they corrupt the person that does the loving. We've all seen the movies. Maybe we've lived some of those stories that we see in the movies and experienced them ourselves. But sometimes our love wrecks our life. Human, mere human love can wreck your life. You can love something. You can know you love someone and in the pursuit of that thing, destroy yourself, mar yourself, corrupt yourself, weaken yourself, break yourself. Human love can be more like a craving. It's based not on itself, but it's based on something you want. Human love is based on a need. I've got to have him. I've got to have her. I've got to have that thing, whatever it might be. But that's not the love. That is that great love that the Bible says you must know and understand and believe this love because it transforms your life. What kind of love? It's a paternal love. It is literally... It is a love that gives perfect, unchanging, sacrificial care 24-7. It never, the Father's love is eternal, caring, and giving. Let me put it in the most simple terms. 
It's not because of what he needs, it's because of what he is. God doesn't love because he needs something from us. God doesn't love us because he craves us like we crave one another. He loves us because he is love. And because he is love, his love is a perfect, unending stream of absolute care and the most profound understanding how he understands us, how he peers into the very inner complexities of our life and what we can't even understand ourselves, what we are paying other experts to try to point out to us and take medications to try to live with, he absolutely perfectly understands and he comes with a love that is the solution, that is the answer, it is the miracle that we are looking for. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Here's a real gem for you. You know, 1 John 4.16, as I just shared, we have come to know and believe the love that God has. And I love one translation, I think it's the New English translation, says, we have come to know and believe the love that God has in us. Now, it's appropriate to say the love he has for us, but that, that word really is best translated, the love he has in us, because the love he has for us has actually been put in us. He is not loving you as an object. He's loving you as a repository. You are a receptacle for that love. His love abides within you. It doesn't just fix its focus upon you, and he has affection for what he sees. But he is living in you, and his love is in you. Praise the Lord. So, James, uh, oh yeah, and I was going to say, now because of that verse, here's a great gem, a little piece of advice. Above all that you pursue in life, make it your greatest quest, your greatest desire to know and to believe God's love for you, how precious you are. Make that your greatest quest. Think right now of the thing you pursue in life, the thing you really spend your time going after, the thing your mind focuses on, the thing that you're, you're always ruminating about. If you could take that, maybe just set it into second or third place, and put in first place, I want to know God's love for me. I don't want to know the, his just general love, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's wonderful. But I want to know his specific, his love for me. I want to know it. I want to believe it. If you could make that the number one quest in your life, you would begin to understand how precious you are to God. And let me tell you, there is no armor, there is no weapon more powerful than you knowing how precious you are to God. When you know how precious you are to God, you can stand before any foe. You can get up and do whatever God tells you to do, even though you know you should be disqualified because of all the dumb things you did just yesterday. Are you listening to me? Knowing how precious you are to God will, though you fall seven times, make you get up again. Knowing how precious you are to God puts an eternal rebound into your life. 
And the father will literally just hold the game. And he'll say, my son gets another shot. My daughter gets a free throw. God will always let you rebound. No matter how bad you have blown it, God will keep you in the game and let you rebound. He will even alter the conditions on the playing field until you make that basket. Hallelujah. I mean, that is love. That is love. Why would God do that? Because the game is not what's important to God. It's you that's important to God. We all think it's the game. We all think it's what, how we can polish this life and have an impact. But you are his workmanship. You are what's truly precious. God can make a million worlds. But he's only made one you. And he loves you more than he loves the planet Earth. Oh, I would that to God that all the millions of misguided earth worshipers today could just understand how precious they are to God and realize how much power is in God's hand for those that love him. It's awesome. In James chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, He chose to give birth to us as his children by giving his true word to us. And we out of all creation became his prized possession. Did you catch that? He gave birth to us, making us his children by giving us his true word. And as a result, we became his prized possession. You are God's favorite. My wife, I'm sorry she's not here this morning, wasn't feeling well, but um, she, she let me know years ago she's God's favorite. And in our house, we just know that's the way, that's how we roll. Kathy's God's favorite. And, um, but, you know, nobody is going to give you that. You need to take that for yourself. In your mind, you must be God's favorite. Listen, I'm serious. I'm not just, this isn't rhetoric. You really, in your mind, you might see somebody else that you're friends with or close with as being above you or being beyond you or being a senior to you. That's okay. We have mentors. We have people that are leaders or farther along than we are. But when it comes to love, you must look in the mirror and you must know I'm his favorite. I'm his favorite. You've got to know that. You can't look at other people and say that's God's favorite. You've got to know that you are God's favorite. There is a power waiting to be released. There is a, a, a miracle waiting to happen. And there are miracles in you meant for other people waiting the opportunity for you to be Peter at the gate beautiful and say silver and gold of I none such as I have I give to you. Where's that come from? You think, oh, if I, if I fast and pray 40 days and 40 nights, I'll get that anointing and God will work through me in miracle signs and wonders. Listen to me. You find out, you realize, you grab hold of this truth. You know it until it takes hold of you that you are God's precious. You're his favorite. And I guarantee you, you will say to the lame man, such as I have. I give to you. That's where it comes from. The Bible says faith works by love. You say, I just, I just need to hone my faith. I need to confess the word. And I love confessing the word. It's important. Those, those techniques, those habits, those are all necessary. But they can't 
be practiced in our life right up to the point where we make the final connection by saying, I am beloved. I am God's favorite. He is, I am precious to him. That's what puts it all together. That's what brings transformation. As long as you understand and remain focused on how precious you are to the Father, you will walk under an open heaven with his special authority and favor wherever he leads you. Wherever you go in life, no matter what the conditions, no matter what the economy's doing, no matter what nuts are running the country, no matter uh, what kind of neighborhood you live in, no matter what uh, your employers say or do, no matter what kind of conditions you find yourself in, even your own conditions, the conditions of your own mind, your own, your body. You know, you're, we're not perfect. But if you can seize and understand, remain focused on how precious you are to the Father, you will always rebound. And you will always walk under an open heaven. Everywhere you go, you'll know that if I'm here, there's an open heaven here. If I'm here, the God of possibilities is here. If I'm here... A miracle is here. You need to be able to walk into the room and know that a miracle just walked in. You need to be able to go into the house like Jesus went into the house in Luke 5 and have them say the power was present to heal. Where does that come from? People who had hands laid on them and had prophesied over them, you are God's anointed, yay, yay, yay. And so now you've got that special power? No, that doesn't, doesn't come like that. Faith works by the love of God. It's all internal. It comes, from, it comes from you letting the Father tell you how precious you are to Him. Do you realize that every day the world that we, we walk through, this treacherous environment, this lethal uh, environment of the world filled with the noxious fumes of, of, uh, of fear and condemnation, and degradation, they, it's there every day impacting and pulling on your confidence specifically in the love of God. Satan, if he fights anything, he fights the revelation of God's love in your life. That is what all the things you go through every day. The reason you feel down, you feel like you don't want to get out of bed is because that revelation of God's love in you has been beaten down by the life going on around you. And you and I don't have enough sense because we don't hear enough messages about it. We don't remind ourselves or remind one another enough of how essential and how important this is. And so because of it, we go days, weeks, without thinking about how vital God, how precious you are to him. When's the last time you really took a bite out of this revelation, really embraced it, and let the Father show you how much he loved you? You see, that's what keeps you strong. That's what keeps you connected with the possibility of miracles in your life. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43.3, a remarkable scripture. So it's so remarkable, I'm going to read it to you. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 43, verse 3 down to verse 7 says this, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Deliverer. I have handed over the Egyptian as a ransom price, Ethiopia and Seba in place of you. Since you are precious and special in my sight and I love you, I will hand over people 
in place of you. Nations in place of your life. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. From the past, I will bring your descendants. And from the, I'm, I'm sorry, from the east, I will bring your descendants. And uh, from the west, I will gather you. And I will say to the north, hand them over. And to the south, don't hold any back. Bring my sons from distant lands and my daughters from the remote regions of the earth. Everyone who belongs to me, whom I have created for my glory, whom I form, yes, whom I have made. Wow, what an amazing promise. I will pay your ransom with Egypt, with every nation, with every enemy that has taken a bite out of your life because you are special to me, because I care for you, because you are precious to me. I will pay your ransom with the nations. I'll make them return you and return you everything they stole and pay you back. What is God saying? We realize that, that this prophecy spoken by Isaiah was originally directed to Israel. God loved Israel. Do you not know who you are sitting in these seats? Israel existed as a funnel, existed as a path, as a road to bring the seed of Abraham into your life. You are the Israel of God. You are the house of God. You are the final repository of what all the covenants of God were about and up to. They aim at you. These promises, Paul made very clear for any theologians that are here this morning. I know this is a sharp crowd. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 21, I believe, Paul said, all of the promises of God are in Christ. Yes and amen under the glory of God by you. So take it. That which was spoken to Israel, that's for me. I am that, what God was aiming at. I'm what God was aiming at when he said that. And so he says, you are precious. You are special and I love you. Therefore, I'll, I'll hand over your enemies before I'll let them take you. I'll make them bring back everything they've stole for you and repay you. And who, and who is this promise to? He ends it in verse 7 by saying, Everyone who belongs to me, whom I created for my glory, who I formed, yes, whom I made. Well, that's me. That's you. Praise the Lord. When something is precious to God, he possesses it and extends himself through it. Remember the ark? When something is precious to God, he possesses it and he extends himself through it. What is the ultimate pinnacle of that statement? But you and I who are made and then redeemed and remade and reborn into the image of Jesus Christ. God possesses and extends himself through us. That's how he loves us. We are not loved as objects only. We are loved as repositories. We are loved as recipients where God's love lives. And remember, in that verse I showed with you out of Isaiah, he said, do not be afraid. I am with you. 
I am with you. Not my promises with you. I am with you. Hallelujah. Because I love you. Thank you, Jesus. It's good. So who, to whom has the Father made these covenant promises? I think I've already pretty much answered the question. But, but the reality is that this special preciousness, it was first installed in the Abrahamic covenant, right? Um, and then through Moses, it was extended to Israel as a nation. But then later on by the prophets, this promise of specialness was narrowed down to the remnant, those who are obedient. But then came Jesus, and that promise of preciousness was literally distilled and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You are my precious son. This day I have begotten you. And then after Jesus, this promise of preciousness was gifted by Jesus to you. Moses didn't give it to you. Abraham didn't give it to you. The prophets didn't give it to you. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, gave this love to you. Who is going to take it away from him? If Israel gave it to you, the Amorites might come along. If the remnant gave it to you, maybe you might act less than faithful and they'll kick you out and not have anything to do with you. Jesus himself, well, I'm certainly not Jesus, but Jesus who is Jesus, who is perfect, when he gives it to you, you've been given to. You've been given to. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. And no wonder. Amen. 1 Peter 2.9, now do you know why Peter wrote, you're a chosen, i.e. a favorite. You are a favorite race, a royal priesthood, dedicated nation for God's own person, per, uh, purchased special people, precious, that you may show forth his wonderful deeds, hallelujah, and the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God relates and blesses you through his covenant promise. That promise first made to Abraham. I already walked you through it. Then it was detailed out by Moses. It was amplified by the prophets. It was fulfilled by Jesus. It's a covenant, a contract. It's what, it's what we used to call a kurtuba. Does anyone know what a kurtuba it, it is? It's an old Israelite wedding contract a wedding contract. That's what the covenant is. The covenant, it's a wedding contract. A blood covenant wedding contract. Jesus wed you as the bride of Christ. Your, his love for you is guaranteed by an eternal covenant that can never be broken. He put it in these specific terms. He made it a wedding contract to you so that when you walk the face of the earth as the bride of Christ, though you have feet of clay, though you have weaknesses and problems that you're fighting and dealing with and working out in your life, from heaven's vantage point, from heaven's standpoint, you are walking the earth as the bride of Christ. You are the representative of Jesus. God's love 
is installed within you and he is with you wherever you go. Why is that important and why did God speak it to you as a covenant? He did it so that you would know wherever you go, he's there. Wherever you are, he's there. He's there. Now, why is that important? He said it to them. He said, I will make Egypt, I'll make the nations cough up everything they've stole to you. What is he saying? I own the earth. I own the nations. The world is mine and everything in it. So the one who said the world is mine and everything in it, I will give this world to you, my ransomed, my beloved. This place was made for you and I to live together. Right now, it's in this conflict, this, this time of conflict, but that conflict is going to be over and you're going to be standing tall, hallelujah, in him. You are precious to God, hallelujah. Here's a phrase, you'll love this. This is out of Psalm 139, verse 17. It's the New Living Translation, but it just puts it so perfect. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. Look, have you ever said to a husband or a wife, do you even think about me? Have you ever had an upset, hurt, or angry spouse say, accuse you, you don't think about me? How could you not know this about me? How could you not know this was going to hurt me? And then you're sitting there going, uh, um, oh, um. And you're saying to yourself, why didn't I know? But to God, the psalmist says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. God is never not thinking about you. That's what that means. Your heavenly Father's never not thinking about you. He never backs off his attention from you for one moment. And not just you in the flesh but you in all of your complexity and all of the details of your life, he is thinking about you. He has you dialed in. He has you zeroed in, in love. He loves you. Everything about you that is contrary to his righteousness, contrary to his holiness, he is loving you with a love that is ready to help you, help you overcome and be better. That is is his sentiment, his position towards you. Hallelujah. Remember Jesus said, aren't five sparrows sold for two cents? And are you not greater than sparrows? Your father loves you a lot more than a sack of sparrows. Praise the Lord. I don't know, for some reason that verse never quite did it for me. I just thought, well, okay. I'm better than a sack of sparrows. I feel great. But I, I know what Jesus was trying to say. I don't know, maybe a sack of sparrows was a big thing back then, but uh, at any rate. As you work to find favor in God's eyes in your life, you go through your life, you're wanting to pray, you're trying to do things, you're trying to resist the devil, you're trying to, you know, uh, please the Lord. And so as you're, you find yourself working uh, to gain the favor of God by getting things right, stop. Stop, just stop what you're doing. And step back, take a breath, and just realize 
realize that you're God's masterpiece. The realization that you're God's masterpiece will change the whole way you approach trying to do the right thing. Ephesians 2.10 says, For you are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew in Jesus Christ so that you can do the good things he has planned for you. So when you are trying to do the right thing, remember doing the right thing is not the most important to God. You are the right thing that God is doing. You are his masterpiece. You are what is most important to him. He doesn't want you tearing yourself apart trying to please him. Rip yourself apart trying to do the right thing for him. You are his masterpiece. I wish I could just camp out on that, but I can't praise the Lord. Let me just close real quick with a little simple brief list. I'm going to give you seven reasons, and I would be happy to text these to you or email these to you. They each come with a verse. These are seven reasons why you are precious to God. Okay, you ready? And we'll just go through them quickly. Number one, because he created you in his own image. You're precious to God because he created you in his image. The scripture says, And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Number two, you are precious to God because he redeemed you and washed away all of your sins with the blood sacrifice of his son. You're precious to God. And Ephesians 1.7 says, He is so rich in his kindness and grace towards us. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So that makes us very precious to God. Number three, you are precious to God because he adopted you as his own child and made you one with himself. And so that makes you precious to God according to Romans 8, 15 and 16. So you have not received the spirit that uh, makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And it goes on, and step four picks this up, you're precious to God because he's put his own spirit in you. Romans 16 goes on to say, 16 goes on to say, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are precious to him. We are the children of God. God's spirit and your spirit are ready to say, I'm precious to God. I'm his son, I'm his daughter. Hallelujah. Next time you feel like, you know what, whatever, just, just stop for a moment. Realize, focus on his love for you and just lift up your hand and say, I am. God's, the Holy Spirit and me are saying right now, I am precious to God. Number, fi uh, number five, you are precious to God because you're his eternal bride. You're his eternal bride. He will spend eternity with you. And uh, Revelation 21.9 says, Then came one of the seven angels and spake to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Number six, you're precious to God because he has given you the very righteousness of his Son. How Jesus pleased the Father, that righteousness is given to you as a gift. And that's, that is who you are to the Father. You are Jesus to the Father, hallelujah. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sakes he made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. See, these truths are important. 
because they are true. They are eternal laws, eternal truths. And finally, number seven, he considers you precious to himself because you're at the, you are the centerpiece of his eternal purpose. Now that's, that's way above my pay grade. But whatever eternity holds as far as God's purpose is concerned, you're at the center of it, the center of it. Not there as a spectator, you're the center, you're the reason, you're the purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sakes, as it said, I, I put the same verse there again. At any rate, you can probably find two or three others, hallelujah, that he purposed us in Christ. I want you to close your Bible, stand with me this morning in our simple prayer as we close this message is going to be this. Father, help me with a revelation of how precious I am to you.